Smart Council is a production of New Pattern Counseling, with additional support from Multnomah University. To learn how to support this podcast, visit patreon.com slash smartcouncil. Reese Basimio is a counselor, teacher, and writer, and the founder of New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon. His clinical specialties are addictions, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. Van Poling is a counselor at a New Day Counseling Center in Portland, Oregon. He specializes in identity, relationships, and sexual addiction. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Smart Council, Managing Compassion Fatigue, Quarantine Edition. Smart Council provides counselors' perspectives on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I am Reese Pasimio. And I'm Ben Poling. And we are welcoming into our recording space the wonderful, one and only, most excellent Hannah Green. Uh, Hello. How are you? I'm great. What an introduction. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm really thankful that you could be here and we could do this together. Would you uh, give a little introduction for yourself uh, for the listener who does not have the wonderful opportunity like I have to actually know you in person? Yeah, who are you and what's your corner of the counseling world and what do you do? So I'm Hannah Green. I'm a counselor with Second Growth Counseling in Southeast Portland. Well, now in my guest room um, at our main offices in Southeast. I am a marriage and family therapist working towards licensure on the home stretch. Um, I've worked um, in the school system. I worked in affordable housing community for a while. And now that I'm in this group practice, I'm finding more and more that I love working with people around burnout, compassion fatigue, and a little splash of spiritual questioning thrown in there can be fun too. Um, And I teach um, in the George Fox Counseling Program as well. It's been great. Reese got to be one of our guest speakers recently. That was fun. It was a big hit. (laughs) It was good times. Um, Yeah, yeah. So as a counselor, um, see clients during the week in our private practice. And then we also have some community partnerships. So we we work with a nonprofit called Rahab Sisters on Friday nights. Rahab Sisters provides community for women and those with vulnerable gender identities who are experiencing houselessness, addiction, domestic violence, poverty. And they can come in every Friday. Our doors are open for a meal, um, community building activities. And uh, we have a team of counselors and we facilitate a free support group for our guests. And we're also on site just responding to whatever comes up. And that's a huge piece of the work then that really matters to me and connects me to that, you know, the why of why we do this. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I'm already thinking of tangents, but <laughs> it's been cool to see how, how Rahab sisters and how we're trying to get creative right now with, um, you know, what we do on Friday nights is what keeps a lot of people going and it is what puts people at risk right now. So we've been trying to get creative with that, but mm. that is a rabbit that that's that's a rabbit trail, but I I mean I I've always been so excited to hear hear you talk about Rahab Sisters and just what that represents of in a sense like literally touching the untouchables and you know really reaching across social those social barriers to to make contact with with the vulnerable and the powerless and the people who who really need it 
And um, I am, as I was hearing you talk about it, I was remembering, oh yeah, and like how how is that all affected when we're technically not supposed to be together, we're not supposed to be touching. Mm -hmm. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that is truly what is keeping some people alive week to week, is knowing that on Fridays they get to see their community. There's people who've said things like, I often don't know what day it is, but I always know when it's Friday because that's when I get to come here. And, um, and it's, it's us offering support, right, as counselors and volunteers, but they offer tremendous support to one another. And um, you see that in the group we facilitate, them offering encouragement and support and wisdom to one another. And um, it's hugely important. And yeah, it's been a challenge but we're we're figuring it out how do we still communicate like we see you we care about you we're connected even when everything's telling us to for good reason <laughs> to not be together we're they're still doing um like food drop-offs in the parking lot so people can come and get meals and supplies if they're needed and then we have a team of volunteers and counselors who are calling guests who have phones throughout the week and just doing like check-in phone calls and and we have like mental health like handouts and stuff we're spreading around but awesome that's awesome yeah trying yep. to get creative with it that's good i mean way to be creative because we, we gotta when we had um when we had talked about this conversation we, we wanted to talk about compassion fatigue mm -hmm. particularly from the vantage point of um where we're counselors where we're helping professionals we are we, we are actually an essential an essential job uh, <laughs> uh which is nice um I mean, all jobs are essential, but uh, the state deems us essential, which we're thankful for. But from that position where we are tasked with caring for people, caring for people's inner lives for sure, and you know, Hannah, in your case, sometimes people's external lives a little bit also, it's a really beautiful thing, a really beautiful spot to be in. And you know, we've long recognized that when we step into this sort of role of caring for others, there's a vulnerability that goes there. There's mm -hmm a particular cost to it, a toll on our energy, on our emotional capacity, on our spiritual capacity. And it's a good thing to, to talk through and talk through how do you manage what we call compassion fatigue and how do we take care of ourselves well. And our rough draft of this conversation all happened before Corona. Mm -hmm. uh, and so now everything feels really heightened and just weird in a different way. And 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 Hannah, your idea I think was a really good one to to look at it to look at compassion fatigue through the lens of a really heightened, weird, really literally disconnective situation too, where everything's just um, everything's out of order. I think what we want to explore is how do we how do we be healthy people? How do we nurture each other, nurture ourselves in uh, in a crisis situation or a weird heightened situation? What would you say? What would you say, Hannah, is a good working definition of what compassion fatigue is, or some of the some of the major traits mm -hmm. that we could recognize about it? Yeah. So, what makes compassion fatigue different from like burnout, for example, is a specific piece of like prolonged exposure to the suffering of others, and that could be people, can be animals, can be um, even people who are activists or environmental doing environmental work and are exposed to like climate change or um you know different species being affected and um so your prolonged exposure to the suffering of others and then that starts to show up as stress which can look 
like depression and anxiety for sure. Um, it can look like you are kind of numbing out a little bit. Um, maybe once you were really passionate about this work and super energized, but you find that you you can't tap into that anymore or you just don't, you don't care as much to be blunt. You can find yourself being more irritable at work and with the people that you're around, um, maybe engaging in some coping skills that aren't the healthiest. And then just one of, I think the most heartbreaking for people is the sense that you can never do enough, that you work and work and work, but the problems, the suffering is so big that, you know, what's the point? Mm. That's a really hard place to get to. Yeah. That sense of powerlessness. Yeah with so much, uh, yeah, pain, suffering that, that you're in contact with. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even as I was thinking through this before this conversation, you can't help but draw parallels to what we're all in right now. Right. Like, okay, we're being exposed to horrifying news stories all the time. If not the real suffering of people in your lives who've lost jobs or are sick themselves a lot of times we're feeling powerless in this. It would make sense if a lot of people are experiencing some of those same signs of, of compassion fatigue. Yeah, I think one of the things that's been interesting about the uh, coronavirus and how it's affected people, I think it's really revealed a lot of powerlessness mm. for people um, uh, or, or brought out a lot of powerlessness for people. Um, yeah, and probably increasing compassion fatigue for a, for a lot of a lot of individuals mm-hmm. i'm definitely yeah. noticing that too where um because it is so very global and and the there are the regulations that are that are that were being given to to to, to manage it they they are yeah they are, they're affecting everyone and it's just it's so it's so big and I mean, there's, and there's so much information and misinformation flying around and, and it's, it's hard to sort through. And then, um, and then, um, I mean, you talked about like the repeated exposure and maybe we can blame social media a little bit for this one, but it, but it's not just, Oh, we're exposed to the dynamics of, um, I've lost my job. I'm stuck at home. I'm not seeing my community, but then like if I'm online all of the time or watching the news all of the time, it's all that's there. And, and there's there's this way we get kind of inundated with it anyway, and so it does seem like there's an existing real powerlessness that just gets exaggerated and exacerbated by how how in our faces it is. I guess it can feel overwhelming, possibly. I mean, partly because of that, and partly because of just what it is. And that's not even to speak to the people who are already feeling compassion fatigue in their work, right? Like healthcare workers, animal welfare, teachers, people who are already in situations where they're exposed to a lot, they're holding a lot, they're maybe sometimes working within systems that where they don't feel supported. Um, again, a parallel to what a lot of people are feeling right now. Like, can you trust your leaders to look out for you? Um, and then add this crisis on top of it. And oh my gosh, that's, that is a lot for people. It's a lot to handle. Yeah. And recognizing that there's a lot that everyone's experiencing and working through i know it might be good to talk a little bit about what are some some practical like you know disciplines or practices that might be really nourishing but 
there's this other really powerful dynamic going on too, where it is everyone. And, and that, um, like you pointed out earlier, that, that throws an interesting twist on the, on the counseling relationship in one sense. Uh, and this isn't necessarily a good thing to begin with. And it maybe has some roots in like patriarchy, colonialism, et cetera, et cetera. But there's this model for counseling that can be there of, well, I'm, I'm the, I'm the expert. I have the professional label. I have the credential. It's my office. I have the colored shirt. I'm actually wearing a colored shirt today. <laughs> so that means, uh, that means I'm the expert. Ergo, I must be the strong one. Ergo, I must have my life together and I must be, you know, strong and put together. And in a lot of ways, because this is affecting everyone uh, and everybody's disequilibrated, you know, counselor and client are all put out are all put out. Um, nobody's, nobody's, nobody's getting what they want right now. And we're, and we're all having to adjust. I, I wonder from um, Ben and Hannah, from your observations, how is that affecting how counseling happens and how a relationship with your clients happens. Yeah. I mean, not a big fan of the collared shirt <laughs> approach. <laughs> That's um, even like as a more like narrative leaning therapist, that's removing ourselves from that expert role is kind of a starting place anyway, but especially in all of this, like how I just imagine as a client, you're in this mess, you know, everyone's feeling it. And then you sit with your therapist who is just business usual, like cold as ice just doesn't seem to be feeling this and how jarring that would be. And in some ways like invalidating of, of your experience that, well, okay, they seem to be able to still have it together and not be affected by this. So why am I such a mess? And, um, yeah, I think there's a cost to to pretending we're not affected. Yeah, I could, I could certainly see that. And uh, I guess on the on the other side of that, the benefit of of being uh, a real person in the room, you know, not just uh, you know like the Freudian version of a therapist where you're just there to be projected onto or whatever, but but really showing up in the room. And creating that connection, that that human connection with your client, even if you're not in the same room and you're doing it by a, mm-hmm. <laughs> by a video chat or whatever, um, you know th- that that has some power in in the relationship and in in helping clients feel uh, validated and heard and and understood. And it seems really essential right now in a in a era of social distancing where people are generally cut off from their communities by and large and not able, not able to make the routine connections they would be making. Uh, when they do get to come see us, even via telehealth, that connection becomes extremely important. And, and I think you're right. If we always hold ourselves up as we're the professionals, we have the answers there that, that hinders connection compared to some vulnerability, some self-disclosure, that facilitates that connection because what people need so much right now is, is human connection. That's, mm-hmm. that's a scarcity for us. And so we having that resource, we could say, yeah, it may be more harmful to be withholding that. And by putting on a super powerful persona, you can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like more than ever, it's just bringing me back to the power of just being present with the mess and 
the temptation I think we all feel just as humans to want to fix things and make it better and oh I'm a I'm a therapist I should know (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's the skill for this and in situations like this like of course there's things we can we can suggest and support that that are healthier Um, and we don't have the answers we don't know how long this is going to last um, we don't know what it's going to look like for our clients. It's, yeah, it just brings it back to, um, I don't know, and I'm here with you, and what do you need? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's kind of this this middle ground where you have to find between, like, you know, the, the stoic, this isn't affecting me, you know, therapist, but also on the other end of that extreme is, like, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you know, maybe my client feels like they need to take care of me because, because I'm not, you know, so, so there, you know, as therapists, we got to be able to find this middle ground where we can, we can be, we can show up, but, but also be the, the presence that, that the client feels comfortable and confident that, that we're going to be able to be helpful for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not just like, Hey, we're all like, you know, you know, we're all in this together and I have no idea what I'm doing, you know, yeah. like, and, and I, I don't know how to help, help you. And, you know, perhaps I don't know how to help you, but, but to be able to be that, you know, that, that presence of like, but I'm here with you and I want to help, you, you know, I want to help you. I know that we can figure this out together mm-hmm. um, versus like, Oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do. And, you yeah. know, I, I need help too. And, you know, what do you think I should do? Yeah, there's a there's a divine balance in there somewhere, somewhere between being being cocky, but but still still being confident, maybe maybe mm-hmm. more confident in my in, in my unconfidence or confident yeah. in my not knowing. An assurance. Or, yeah, like what I what I would what I get to do. What we get to do is we get to make space for these are your real feelings and these these are your real fears and these this is the real reality. We we don't know what's going on or maybe it's a case of like. Yeah, we're both in sub-ideal situations. You've got your kids screaming in the background. I've got mine screaming in the background. We're trying to have this like super deep moment. It's just not happening. Okay, let's own that. That's our new normal. Um, and um, and being able to being able to make space for that, but at the same time also, I don't know, kind of have a plan or kind of have a vision or have a vision for we're we're going to grieve together. We're going to mourn together. We're going to you know, make space for each other. And may, you know, maybe, maybe my role as a therapist is not so much to be the, the almighty professional that has the answers as much as to be like the, the, the model for here's, here's how we'll bravely plunge into this together mm-hmm. a little bit. And I'll, I'll take the first step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, thinking through a compassion fatigue lens to if we as counselors are hearing, you know, story after story all day long and we're getting, inundated with with the hurt and the pain the confusion of all of this if we're not um metabolizing that's a word that laura vander newt lipsky uses uh, a lot she wrote trauma stewardship and some of the things but um if we're not metabolizing that then we are going to be the therapist who's like oh my gosh yeah this is a mess this is so stressful i have no idea what's gonna happen and that's not a supportive presence Thinking about, you know, this, this whole thing in the, in the compassion fatigue, I, I wonder if it'd be helpful to talk, I mean, just, I guess, in, in general about things that help to, um, 
I guess, create, create resilience maybe against that as well as um, managing or, or, or coming away from that if, you're, if you are experiencing compassion fatigue. Um, but then also more specifically to talk about like what, you know, what can we do now in, in the current situation of a, of a pandemic where we're, you know, where we're experiencing compassion fatigue? Are there more specific um, things that, that would be helpful in this particular situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the starting point that I normally come to with compassion fatigue is like starting with awareness of what's happening for you. And this might be a generalization, but I think people who might be more prone to compassion fatigue, um, like myself, are people who are helpers. Like you, you just love people and you want to help and you've got a strong sense of justice. And sometimes we're not the most in tune with how we're doing. We might overextend or move past our boundaries or, you know, sort of trick ourselves into believing we're okay when really we're not. And so if a starting point is just taking even the moment to pause and assess like, how am I doing? Am mm. I going from one session to another all day long? Or, you know, I've been on my feet all day at the hospital, whatever it is that your day looks like just taking a second to check in and like, what am I feeling instead of blowing past it into the next step? Right. Yeah. So it sounds like kind of a a general self-awareness, just knowing, knowing your vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. Um, but then also a a more specific, like mindfulness practice of, of throughout your day, checking in with yourself and how you're doing and where you're, uh, where you're feeling different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you even, how do you know when you're not okay? It'd be a helpful question. Like if there have been times in your life where you were not okay, how did you know? What were the signs for you? Were you sleeping a ton? Were you lashing out at your loved ones more? Were you spending less time doing the things you love? Like what were those things that you notice um, even externally so that you know, I mean, just in my personal experience, having gone through some burnout, I didn't realize I was burnt out until like six months in <laughs> to the burnout. Um, okay. And then looking back now, I can see like, oh, I was, I was tired all the time. I wasn't being creative. I wasn't reaching out to people I cared about. It's interesting hearing, hearing us talk about having that awareness down to the body level, what's going on in my body, what's my energy level, what's my appetite, what are my body sensations? And I'm thinking that one of the things, well, a lot of things get in the way of that awareness. One of the things is just the pace of life that we typically maintain. Yeah. We live a relentless, a relentlessly paced life and we're always rushing. I know <laughs> I was late to my first thing today because I'm rushing and rushing and I tend to not have many margins. And in that, as much as this whole situation is really distasteful in a lot of ways, there might be some gifts in there also, such as a lot of us do get to slow down. A lot of us have had a lot of commitments and connections and things evaporate so that a lot of us might be left with more time or a little bit more margin. Maybe (laughs) I I haven't quite succeeded there, but, (laughs) but, but this idea of like being able to slow down and notice yourself when suddenly you're at home a whole lot more 
and away from people and away from the noise, that might be one of the opportunities there is to really be able to do that, to check in with yourself more and better and more, and more thoroughly. And, and from there, hopefully be able to, to take some wise action in nurturing yourself. Yeah. And I think there's real fear for a lot of people of like, what happens if I slow down? If I really ask myself how I'm doing, and if I answer that honestly, it, I'm not going to like what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Or I'll start crying and I won't be able to stop. Or I'm going to have a panic attack, you know, whatever it may be. So there's some real genuine worry for that in that for people. There is. There really is. Because... I mean, a lot of us carry a lot of pain of various sorts and yeah, and it's not, it's not in our normal rhythm to be, to be, to be with ourselves in this sort of way. What would you say are some other, some other nurturing practices or another term I'm using a lot is uh, replenishing practices, Mm -hmm. uh, especially for us who are more prone to compassion fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, starting with that self-awareness piece. So now I know how I'm doing not okay. And then it's being able to bring someone into that. So whether that's a partner, a friend, a colleague, or if you have a supportive work environment, like, can you, can you bring them into that? Because if everyone else thinks you're okay, then that's just supporting you keeping pretending, right? And forcing your way forward. And, and that's hard too, because that is further admitting, like, I'm not doing great. I need help. I'm not even sure what I need, but I need something so bringing someone into that the connectivity piece is is terrifying in a lot of ways and again there's i mean there's a lot of reasons for that like lack of safe people and you know societal conditioning and and prior experiences but if it can if it can at all be done where you you get to open up to someone or expose a vulnerability um you know i know you me ben we were just talking earlier this morning about um the power of community and growing together in community, which is again, a scarcity right now, but you know, th- you know, even in a community of two, it's, it's me and my, me and my, me and my counselor or me and my client or me and a, me and a good friend who are connecting virtually being able to, to, to really own and be honest about here's my need. Here's my vulnerability. Here's my pain. And um, in this particular scenario, kind of delightfully, we, there's, kind of this understanding, I think everybody's going through a similar kind of pain and there's a lot of, there's a lot of common ground there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, I'm also, I'm also just really struck so far with the, the courage that it takes to be able to face this. Cause I mean, in, in both the things that we've talked about so far, the becoming aware of yourself and what, what's going on in you, there, there's a fear there. You know, what if, what if I do that? I don't like what I see or it's too overwhelming for me. So you know, there's a fear there, but then there's also the next step of like reaching out to someone else. Uh, and there's fear there too of, of, you know, what if, what if they reject me? What if, um, uh, what if they don't like what they see? My definition of, of courage is, is doing something in the face of fear and yeah. so it takes a lot, you know, it takes some courage to do both of those things. It does. This is the hard path through. Mm. This is, <laughs> y'all know the kid's book, Going on a Bear Hunt? 
<laughs> no, I don't. Oh, it's a great one. Highly recommend. Okay. A supervisor, shout out to Michelle, who read us this book in grad school. And it's basically a little family going on a bear hunt, whatever that is. And they come across all these obstacles. So like a mountain or a river or a swamp. And whenever they come to the obstacle, they say, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. And that has stuck with me. I use that with clients all the time because that we're good at going over and around things and right. Like I'm just going to keep busy. So I don't feel this or mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell myself I'm okay. And maybe I'll believe it or hide, hide how not okay I am or cope, right. Numb it out. But to actually look at it and feel it and invite other people into it. Like that is, that's the harder way sometimes if not always the only way through it is the harder way but i know for me having having taken that harder way um more than a few times i i know for myself i'm I'm so convinced of how much better it is to do that than to not like i mean at this point in my life i i wouldn't have it any other way and (laughs) like I'm almost to the point in my, in my relationships where I'm like, Hey, I mean, you're not going to be vulnerable with me. I don't waste my time because I'm like, it's so Mm -hmm. much better, so much better on the other side. I mean, once you get through that initial terror and the initial terror is quite terrifying, but it, it, it does pay off. It really does in terms of replenishing. So being able to be, be, or get to a state of awareness where you can check in with your body, soul, and spirit is super vital being able to, um, connect to others to reach out for help and, you know, defy the, the, the Western capitalist individualistic narrative of, you know, have it all together and be independent and you never need anybody. And, you know, uh, you know, defying that narrative to say, actually (laughs) real life, I need you, (laughs) please help me. Um, That that's super powerful. And we do another thing that I think trips us up and this is like comparing our suffering, especially with all this happening right now like well I don't have it I'm not sick or my partner sells their job or um, sort of diminishing minimizing what your own experience is and people who are in like helping roles tend to do this more because you might be comparing to the people you're helping oh well I'm doing doing okay considering and (laughs) that just robs you of the ability to to really look at your own experience What would you say, so with that one, what would you say would be the difference between minimizing your own experience, uh, especially compared to other people's experiences, uh, versus maybe having a healthy practice of gratitude or mm-hmm. intentionally pursuing, I don't know, looking for the silver lining, looking for the best in the situation, you know, making the best of a situation? Because um, mm-hmm. I can totally see that very unhealthy version like you're talking about, but I'm wondering if there could also be a way, that, a way to do that in a, health, in a healthy way. Yeah, I guess what I see so much more often in people doing that is they are already so deeply grateful. That's not the problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's what I'm seeing in, with these people who are so aware of all of the good that they have that they can't acknowledge their pain. I tr- trust that they are. They know what they have. That they're grateful. That they are you know, concerned with the suffering of others. Like, that's not a question. It's, but how are you? But I also, I hear what you're saying too, of um, there is a real good, healthy space for 
looking at what you do have and not out of like comparison, but like, wow, I am not in that boat. <laughs> and, right. and I'm grateful for all that I have right now. That's right. huge. For sure. And as much as I hear where you're at too, where much as it is good and possible to, you know, have a, have an anchor of hope or have an anchor of gratitude, you you still need to acknowledge where you're vulnerable and where you're having problems. And, and in a sense, maybe you appreciate your hope even more when you can fully acknowledge what your problems are also. So, mm-hmm. so being yeah. able to say, so yeah, I just, um, I think we're talking about having this really complex perspective of our own lives where we've got problems and we need to be able to own them and talk about them. And that doesn't mean we're not grateful for the good things in our life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we don't have hope. It just means we're, we're responsibly taking ownership of our, of our whole person. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of what, what I'm hearing is, um, you know, a healthy pro- approach might involve both the, the gratitude piece of you know, being able to look at, you know, somebody else's boat and say like, okay, um, I don't, I don't have it that bad. You know, my, my boat, uh, you know, I, I still have a sail and, you know, and, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sinking quite as much, but also to be able to look at your own boat and say, yeah, but I do have a few holes in my boat and that's pretty concerning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so being able to do both have the gratitude, but also be able to look at how you feel, how you're doing, um, and, and acknowledge that and, um, and accept that, not just minimize it or, or say it doesn't matter because I'm not as bad as I'm not as bad off as others. Yeah. Like I have no right to suffer, to complain. You do. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a right to their own pain and their own suffering and their own experience. And um, yeah, comparing, comparing your internal world of pain to somebody's like external presentation, their, their, their Instagram self, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. never productive and right. only, only creates more unrest. Yeah. And I think adding to that too, like I see a lot of compassionate people who are so concerned with the suffering of others that they minimize their own. Right. But the, the truth is like you doing that to yourself doesn't help those people. It makes you more worn down and tired and it's just a less sustainable practice for you. But if you are first tending to yourself and patching those holes in your own boat, then you are better able to do what you care about and be there for people who are suffering more. So these have been some really vital concepts of cultivating an awareness of yourself, acknowledging to yourself here's here's my actual status acknowledging to another here's my actual status um in terms of some 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 practical day-to-day ideas um you know especially for you know this these these couple months of social distancing quarantine um uh, what are what are some uh day-to-day practical practices that uh, that you have found work well for for you or that you hear work are working well for for other people just to i don't keep the head clear to, to, to be reaching out for help, to be cultivating awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like practical things that probably a lot of people have heard before, like minimize your amount of time on your phone, social media, reading the news, right? That's, that's hard when there's so much uncertainty and we want to know everything possible, but um, yeah, having times where that phone is in a drawer or if you can go on a walk, without your phone, if that's safe for you. And um, 
creating physical distance from your technology and <laughs> another sort of, it might sound silly, but after a day of, of sessions, especially after staring at a screen all day, I have been known to just lay on the floor in a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's physically grounding, right? To feel the ground beneath you. Um, it's such a different physical posture than what I'm in all day. Um, kind of hunched at a desk. Um, and it's removed from all of that stimulus of screens and news and people and um it's simple it's not an intimidating thing to suggest for someone you don't have to know how to do yoga or you know you literally can just lay on the floor for a minute and uh, my screenshot eyes really love that idea so much <laughs> uh, yeah. i had my my dad do it the other day he was all stressed out I was like all right lay on the floor <laughs> I promise it's gonna work yeah yeah i love i love those ideas of you know, a recognizing where where are some of the sources of your stress, and you know, in this case, where where that source might be the digital world and the online world and the news to to take a step back from that and to turn off the screens. And you know, you, you talked about going for a walk. You know, if you if it's safe to do so without a phone, and to to just not not be connected to all of that. Mm -hmm. um, a correlate, if it's available, would be do do some sort of work with your hands. Or, or or some sort of physical activity. Like I know uh, so, sometimes for me, like after a long day of sessions, one of the most relaxing things is actually to go home and like clean the kitchen, mm. because uh, I don't really have to think about it, and I get to see immediate tangible results. You know, warm yeah. water can be kind of soothing. Um, you know, I get you know bonus points from my partner about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I know uh, during all of this time, so. Um, seeing, seeing people, my, my wife and kids, they, they've, been, they've been working in the garden, uh, which not everybody has a garden, but, but it's that sort of thing, like doing, doing stuff with your hands, with your body, like getting in touch with the earth, with the air, and in a sense, like the actual world. Any, any opportunity you have for that, I would say, you know, go for it and, and really maximize that. And we're in this season of spring now where everything is changing every single day, right? Like new life is bursting out all around us. And there's a tree outside my window, like a cherry blossom tree. And so over the last three weeks, like seeing the progression of the blossoms from little red buds to huge flowers to now they're all blowing off in the wind. And yeah, just getting connected to those tangible reminders, like life is still going, still turning, the trees are still blossoming. That's been super beautiful. Uh, I love the cherry blossoms. <laughs> That's been super helpful for me too, just being able to, because uh, early on in the, you know, the whole process with the coronavirus coming out and just everything changing, you know, there's a, for me, just this sense of, of you know, I, I call it change fatigue, which is like mm -hmm. so tired of things changing yeah. and, and just this lack of normalcy. Right. And, going outside and hearing hearing the birds looking at the trees looking like it in many ways the world is going on as normal um and and being able to connect with that was really grounding for me to be able to to be okay even with everything else that's changing i love that term change fatigue and the the idea that goes with it uh maybe change fatigue being the the basis of adjustment disorders <laughs> but uh uh 
<laughs> which I did have the thought of, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of dark, I suppose, but like, so you say a bunch of people get laid off, a bunch of people lose their income, they can't have to drop out of counseling or whatever. But then like, after all of this is over, like everybody's going to have adjustment disorders and going to want to like see counseling. So I'll be like, okay, business will be booming. That's great. And <laughs> terrible because, <laughs> uh, anyway, but, um, one of the things that I've been talking about with, with, with clients too, in light of all of the changes that have been happening and how this is so different than, than our normal is finding some sort of some point of consistency, some point of, or a, a constant or some, some thread of normalcy to carry through all of this. And uh, some of this makes me think of, you know, it could be that perspective. Hey, like the world is still going on. The cherry trees are still blooming. It could also mean part of our work for this time is to create consistency rituals for ourselves. Uh, and that could be like on a, on a small scale, like, you know, there's this particular way that I peel an apple and I always do it the same way. Or it could be, I, I really, really prioritize my morning or evening routine to be sure that I always do that. Like to be sure that even, even if I don't have to leave my house, I still, I still bathe and do my hair or something. Or I don't know, it, it, and it could show up anywhere depending on what one what's important to you. But by creating those, those structures of consistency that you can do kind of regardless of what's changing around you. Um, having those points of consistency or being able to reconnect to here's an important spiritual truth. Here's a, a favorite story. Here's, here's a, an item in my house that is really special and I'll just like spend more time with it or something. Um, you know, hopefully that item's not your laptop. <laughs> um, and that seems to be offering some comfort to people too. From a British family of tea drinkers, and so tea time is it, it's not like you know get a pot of coffee going before you go to work it's like a ritual in a way where you put the kettle on is the answer to everything like oh hard day let's put the kettle on <laughs> and so um trying to create that into even more of like a, a moment where you sit down with your cup of tea have a little cookie and just enjoy it for what it is it's been really nice that sounds delicious. Yeah, it's great. I'm gonna yeah. do that next. <laughs> that sounds good. I think we might we might have a stash of strope waffles at home, so that gives me that idea. So, so we've been talking through some, I think, really important things, and and hopefully offering some some ideas that are are helpful or useful. But in in addressing the the reality that uh, we're all in this together, and um, I think we're, we're definitely all fatigued by this. We're, we're all experiencing the stress. We're all experiencing the change fatigue. And, you know, some of us in particular also have the added layer of, of compassion fatigue. Um, I wonder um, what are just some, some last thoughts or ideas to synthesize some of this, other, other insights, other practical ideas for people? Yeah, this isn't a practical idea. This is more just what I want people to hear, which is you are tired and hurting for a reason. It makes sense that you don't feel great. It is completely valid. You shouldn't have to feel like you have to hide this or get around it. You shouldn't feel alone in this. And there are people who care about you and want to be with you in this. Um, so yeah, if you can muster the courage to, to take that even first small step of asking yourself how you're doing um, and then let, let someone into that 
it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. Absolutely. You're not crazy. There's a reason there's a, there's, there's good reasons for these things. Yeah. Lay on the floor and think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Get, Get to the floor. And Ben, any last thoughts? No, I think uh, I think the big thing that I that I'm hearing is just really grounding, um, you know, getting getting grounded in different different ways. Whether that's laying on the floor in the dark or having some, you know, grounding practices that just help you to to really connect to, you know, the, the reality and the moment and and things. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there were a last thought for me, I would I would want people to allow themselves to be ordinary or allow themselves to not have to be strong and mm. allow yourself to, to be, to be vulnerable and, and fallen apart. And sometimes that's the only way to really get put back together. Again, hopefully there's a safe person to, to catch you in there or a safe community to catch you in there or, you know, a safe, safe attachment with a higher power to catch you in there. But I feel like there, there is a lot of value to, to that. Hannah, thanks so much for sharing some time and some thoughts with us and just, you know, bringing your, your compassion and your, your passion for people and caring for people to, to, the, to the digital world here. But if somebody wanted to reach out to you for, you know, consultation or for to, to be a client or just to talk more about this, uh, what's a good place to find you? Yeah, they can find us at our website, secondgrowthcounseling.com. And we're on Facebook and Instagram too trying to put out lots of helpful, supportive content right now so that if your stream is overwhelming, (laughs) your social media stream, there can be pockets of support and care and um, find us there too. But yeah, as I'm doing my best to take care of myself and build my capacity, I am happy to be there for other folks in this too. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thank you again. And dear dear listener, do, do check out Second Growth. It's a great thing. And uh, let us know your thoughts and your feedback on what we've talked about here today too, whether it's been helpful or whether it's been unhelpful. I mean, that would be helpful to know too. Uh, we'd love to learn. Consider leaving us a rating uh, in the ways that that happens or, and or consider leaving us dollars uh, through Patreon. Um, but either way, thank you for being with us and let's keep the conversation going. We love your feedback and invite you to share your thoughts about this conversation. Also, we'd appreciate your review and five-star rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Share your thoughts through email at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash smartcouncilpodcast. Please consider supporting this podcast with a financial donation through patreon.com slash smartcouncil. Our theme music is by Trent Price. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. Thanks again for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. Mm